1: You've lived a great life and done well for yourself. But what mark will you leave on the world? How will you inspire future generations? Stan Miller and Katie Beth Hand have helped thousands of people answer exactly those questions. If you've ever wondered, what will be my legacy? You're in the right place. Welcome to the Your Life, Your Legacy podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Stan and Katie Beth.
2: Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome back to the show. You are listening to the Your Life, Your Legacy podcast with your hosts, Stan Miller and Katie Beth Hand. And we are so excited because this morning we have a special guest, Dr. Mary Beth Kizmeski. Mary Beth, welcome to the show. We're so excited to have you
0: on with us this morning. Well, I'm excited as well. Thank you.
2: Mary Beth, why don't you tell us just a little bit about your background and kind of what led you into the industry that you're in?
0: Yeah, so I occupy a couple industries, but my firm, Red Zone Marketing, has been working in financial services for 20 years. Um, and it started off from I had one client, I just opened up my marketing firm. My fifth client happened to be a financial advisor. So this one client that was a financial advisor turned out to be someone who was very successful. And he listened to what I was sharing with him about marketing and he did it, and he had a lot of success. And that led to me working with lots of other financial advisors and people in the financial industry. And that was many, many years ago. So I'm grateful for that. And I have since gotten my PhD and I also teach students. So I work with the young and with the not so young.
2: That's great. Stan, do you have specific questions for Mary Beth, just a little bit about her background and how she got into what she does?
1: Yeah, I have a ton of questions. Just looking at your, uh, at your bio, I was really intrigued and really excited to have this time with you this morning just to make this connection with you. Yeah. So I noticed, you know, if you develop a relationship with a client that has $10 million in assets under management, which is not a very big book, right? And you help that client move to, what, a couple hundred million, a lot of things had to happen for that to work out, right? And so I'm curious, you know, to the extent you're willing to share with us, what are the things that you do that you believe are your, I would say that would incorporate your unique abilities, that would be distinctive things that somebody would be able to obtain in a relationship with you that they wouldn't necessarily get working with somebody else?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think what I've always done from the very beginning is to think things through really logically. And, you know, so from that first client, he had, uh, this financial advisor had a few clients of his in working at a particular company. And so I said, well, why don't we just, I don't know, why don't we just call them and say, we're going to do a seminar for people like them on how to retire from this particular company. And it was just seemed logical sense. But at the time, people were thinking they have to send out thousands of invitations to do this. And we're like, well, we don't have money for thousands of invitations, so let's just make a few phone calls. And so I think my perspective has always been, what do we do that's really logical? And a lot of cases, financial advisors get their new business from, referrals. So why don't we try to enhance that referral process as opposed to trying to do all these other crazy things that seem to have less success than just working where the money's already coming in anyways. And so I think one of the things that we've just always done is it's not about spending a ton of money on your marketing. It's about looking at the book of business, looking at the business logically and saying, what can we do today to increase the business?
1: That makes almost too much sense, you know, and <laughs> right. it, yeah, it, 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 it's, you know, there's always that instinct to say, well, you know, let's throw a ton of money at this and let's get this incredibly broad exposure when the, you know, what's that book, Acres of Diamonds, right? Do You remember that book, you know, that's, you know, the secrets right there in your backyard, right? So, um, so, but you've grown and evolved since then, I guess, and you're doing more different kinds of things. Talk about some of those things.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, the world has changed since I started in this industry. My first book, there wasn't even any reference to social media because it didn't exist. And so that's how long I've been in this business. So, you know, we have, to, we have to evolve our business. We can still be very logical and not spend a ton of money on our marketing. But, you know, it's thinking about how do we use all the things that are available to us today? I mean, when LinkedIn first came about, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, what an amazing way to mine for potential prospects. I mean, it used to be in the old, old days, this will prove how old I am. I mean, financial advisors, when they started at a company, they were handed a phone book and just pick it up and phone and call people. Like what? That's a marketing strategy. But today we have so many more sophisticated technologies with LinkedIn and being able to search and find prospects and find people who know the people that we're going to be talking to so we can ask them Hey, I'm talking to this person next week. I see that you're connected to them. Tell me a little bit about him so that I, you know, I come in really prepared. And it's just it's things like that where I think, you know, marketing is much more sophisticated obviously. Even just the cell phone, you know, using cell phones in the financial services practice, texting clients, texting prospects, those are things that we didn't do many years ago. But I think it's continuing to look at where's the easiest path to find more new business as opposed to the most difficult path. Like, I'll give you an example. So we have a, someone that came to work with us and he's like, I've been spending so much money on my marketing. What are you spending money on? Public relations. He wanted to be on TV, on CNBC and all these other places. And he was. The problem was just because he was on CNBC didn't mean that he was getting new clients. He needed to do some things to re-promote those, you know, kind of episodes and the places that he was on and where he was appearing. But he was just spending a bunch of money and getting exactly what he thought he wanted, but it wasn't producing the new business. And so sometimes, again, it's just thinking logically about, hey, how do we do this in a smart way?
1: Yes. You've worked with a lot of clients since that first one, I'm sure. I want you to think back over your career of working with financial advisors. I'm sure that some of them have been more successful than others in working with you. Right. So I'd be curious to know your here, your perspective on what it is your client needs to bring to the party in order to be successful. It's not just you, right? You can't push a magic button and make it rain. You know, they have to bring something to the table also. So what's your take on that?
0: I think it's being really realistic about your referability because, you know, Financial services, thats it's just been proven over time that unsolicited referrals and referrals by asking are the ways that we're getting new business. And it proved to be the same throughout COVID and before and after and all of that. And we've done a lot of research to see, hey, how are financial advisors actually bringing in new business? So if you're not getting referrals, a lot of times financial advisors will say, well, I don't know why I'm not getting referrals. But- I need to press harder and see if there's things I can do to get more referrals, as opposed to being realistic and saying, maybe there's an issue internally, because usually it's your service model that causes the the problems with referrals. And maybe it's not the financial advisor, him or herself, or the other advisors. It could be service team members that are not trained properly. There could be all sorts of things, but we find that when you really identify your referability and your ability to continue to be referable and your ability to accept maybe what the facts might be. Hey, listen, this service model needs to be cleaned up a little bit because we're doing some surveys of your clients and we're not hearing what you think You know, that the result is. And so I think that's the one big thing is really being uh, very aware and realistic about the referability and then improving it. Those that are always concerned about their referability will almost always be more successful in financial services, just be, you know, and it doesn't seem like that's a marketing strategy, but it absolutely is because where does most of the new business come from? It comes from service, services marketing.
1: Yeah, I will say over the years I've found that there's some correlation between the amount of new business you get and the amount of sales calls you make.
0: Yeah, that's very true. It's very true. It it is a numbers game, too, right? I mean. It just is.
1: So COVID came along. How did that impact your clients' business businesses? And now that COVID hopefully is fading into the rearview mirror, what impact has COVID had that you see going forward?
0: Yeah, well, one of the things that became very obvious and our business got very busy and I actually felt guilty about it for a while because some people are really struggling at the beginning of COVID and, and we've got more business than we know what to do with because advisors realized they needed to figure out how to reach clients and prospects without seeing them. So websites need to be improved. Websites dramatically needed to be improved. They realized, hey, listen, my website is my, that's the face of my company right now. I'm not seeing anybody in person. So we spent lots and lots of time fixing financial advisors' websites and really making them a lot better, which they probably should have done before that, but it became a critical situation of I've got to fix my online presence because that now is my only presence. And the other part is you know, getting better with video and figuring out how to write good video scripts and how to use the technology that allowed them to share their stories and share what they were doing without being face-to-face with people. And it was a big sea change for a lot of financial advisors. And uh, those that adapted really well were able to take the time to learn and develop this online presence that was going to help them tell their story without them being in person and so that was an eye opener for a lot of financial advisors that haven't even that hadn't even looked at their website in years they're like oh wait maybe I should fix that up and so it was a good thing for us but it was also a really good thing for them
1: so that's part of the coaching you bring to the party
0: yeah i mean the the kind of coaching that is necessary i think for those kinds of situations is you know, are you going to project the self that you want to project when you're using Zoom, when you're using these different technologies? And we did a lot of training and coaching on that as well, because what you think you sound like and what you think you look like might not be exactly the way you want to be portrayed. And so we have to do a lot of practice on how do you use Zoom? How do you get the camera in the right angle? How do you make sure that you've got a backdrop that's not distracting? Or do you even know what's in your background, you know? And so it was those kinds of things where you can't work out of your bedroom. You've got to figure out something else to do. So there was a lot of that. And that was all new for financial advisors. And it was kind of all new for us as well.
1: So I've noticed you've written a lot of books and uh, I've written one and I know how much work went into that. So you've written nine so far, I think. And I have some idea of what's involved in that process. One of the books that you wrote really popped out though, when I was looking at your website, and it was a book called The Engaging Child. And I haven't read it. But the book didn't seem to be about uh, helping financial advisors market their practice. It seemed to be—it seemed to come from a whole different place. I'm really curious about that.
0: Yeah, the idea came because I had written this book called The Connectors, which is probably the best—well, it is the best-selling book that I wrote. And I would be out talking, you know, doing presentations and speaking about the concepts in this book. And I had a CEO of a large company come up to me and say. We need a book like this for our kids because our kids aren't sure how to connect and we're not sure how to help our kids connect in this way. And that was, you know, sort of the beginning of, well, we've got cell phones now and we're all we're very distracted. And it was at the very beginning. And so my daughter was an extremely successful connector. She's a little kid, but she could connect with anybody. And I thought, well, there's some things that I could draw her into. And so she actually wrote with a little bit of help. She wrote a few chapters in the book with her concepts on how, you know, kids could get better at connecting and what they needed to think about and sort of written to kids, not from a parent to a child, but from more of a child to a child, like, Hey, this is what you need to do. And this is why you should pay attention to this. These are some of the good things that could happen. And it was, those were really fun times because. My daughter and I traveled around and did speaking engagements and and all of that, and it was kind of a, it was a one-two kind of a thing, and it was a lot of fun.
1: How old is your daughter now?
0: She's in her, she's twenty-seven years old now. So we did this book when she was probably ten years ago. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So yeah, that's yeah, being able to do that thing with your daughter, that's uh, that's really really terrific.
0: Yeah, it was awesome. you're lucky to
1: have a daughter. I never had a daughter, so yeah, I'm jealous. So I noticed that that you've had a particularly, uh, particularly interesting connection with Oklahoma State University. So, you know, I'm, I can relate to that because just down the road a bit, I've had an interesting relationship with Arkansas Tech University over in Russellville. I'm really curious to hear your, you know, give us a little bit of insight about what you've done there in connection with your university.
0: Yeah. So I, I got to Oklahoma State because at the time which was back in 2013, 2012, they had the only executive PhD program in the country at the time. There's more now. But I wanted to go back to school and get a PhD, but I didn't want to quit my job at Red Zone Marketing and you know go back to school for five years. So I found this executive PhD program, which led me to Oklahoma State. And then once I got to know professors there, they asked me to, hey, will you come back and pilot a course a new course of a flipped classroom on really interactive, active learning for the principles of marketing, which is the main course that every single student in the business school has to go through. And um, so I thought, well, what kind of opportunity would I ever get like this again to be able to pilot a course and teach marketing the way I think marketing should be taught? No one was asking me those things before. So I thought, this is pretty cool. Maybe I'll do this. And it has been wonderful. And then with the impetus of this NIL, name, image, and likeness for student-athletes, now they can profit due to some you know rulings and, and different things. But in the NCAA now, um, a student-athlete can profit from their name, image, and likeness. And so I now teach a course on personal branding, name, image, and likeness for our student-athletes at Oklahoma State and it has been great. I, we have a lot of student athletes in my family. And so I think that's why I got tapped to teach this class, but it has been amazing. So getting to know the student athletes and helping them through their efforts to do personal branding, which by the way, is very similar to what we do with financial advisors. It's just, it's just a different industry. It's just a different, you know, there's just a different target audience and those kinds of things, but it's the same thing. I mean, how do you promote yourself? How do you stand out how do you get brands interested in you? How do you clean up your social media and your online presence? And so it has been it's been a lot of fun doing that. And that was one of the books I wrote was actually a text on name, image, and likeness, personal branding, because there wasn't anything out there because it didn't really exist prior to a little over a year ago.
1: But well, laying aside the athlete issue in back going back to financial advisors, what's your ideal client look like now? Now you're in a different place in your career. You're not starting out anymore you've you have a successful practice it looks like you're operating in different states you know you have different offices in a number of places so today here in you know 2022 what would be the ideal client you would like to be talking to now
0: yeah our ideal client really hasn't changed that much over the years we are You know, some people will say, well, we need to work with people that have $600 million in money under management or something. I mean, that's not our deal. We want to work with financial advisors. It could be teams, it could be RIAs, it could be Wirehouse, it could be, you know, any version of a financial advisor that simply wants to grow their business. And they really have proven that they want to grow their business. So a lot of people say, well, yeah, I want to get to a billion dollars in money under management. Well, that's great. What, have, you know, what are you willing to do to get there? What changes are you willing to make to get there? And a lot of people aren't willing to make a ton of changes to really significantly grow their business. So we are simply looking for those that honestly, and we have a whole way of, you know, of doing a discovery like a financial advisor would do a mm-hmm. discovery to really determine, do you really want to grow your business? Are you really committed to doing this? Will you be able to do the things that, you know, that we may ask of you to do? And so that's it. It's, do you really want to grow your business? Now, the very first financial advisor we worked with, and it was interesting because he really was committed to growing and he would do whatever we asked. And I'm not saying that you have to do whatever we ask, but he literally did whatever we asked. And I realized that that ability to implement and to execute is not something that everyone possesses. It's really a kind of a unique thing where not only do you say you want to grow, but you're willing to take the steps and do the things that will allow you to do that.
1: So it's not, have you ever told somebody they're not a good fit? It'd be a bad idea to engage you?
0: Oh, absolutely. And, but I always have people that I can refer them out to, you know, here's somebody that, that may be more of a fit for you. And I never just say, I can't help you, whatever. I will always refer them out to somebody because I know so many other people in the industry who just might be a better fit for them. Maybe they just need to fix one thing. Maybe they just need a a series of seminars or something, you know, whatever it might be. So I'm always, you know, trying to make sure that they have the resources, but the resource just may not be us.
1: So if somebody listening to this podcast is... Attracted to what you're saying, and I can see how many people listening to this podcast would be attracted to what you're saying. What's the best way for them to reach out and make a connection with you?
0: Yeah, the best way is to go to redzonemarketing.com, and on my website we've got a list of all the services we do. I do lots of speaking. We've got uh, lots of resources. I write a blog frequently on topics that are important to financial advisors, and you know, always related to how do you grow your business, how do you make sure you're continuing to grow. Your business. And sometimes that has something to do with uh, your staff and how you're bringing the best staff in and keeping them and all sorts of different things. But it's all about business growth. There's tons of resources there.
1: Great. So I've uh, dominated the conversation, Katie Beth. I'm sure you've had some pent up questions you'd like to put out there too.
0: I do have
2: just a couple before we sign off here in just a moment. One question is, and I I think I could tell, what is it that you hope that your legacy is through all the work that
0: you're doing, Mary Beth? Yeah. I mean, I think the legacy, boy, and and this is, it's interesting because the legacy is not me necessarily. It's if a financial advisor can serve more people that really need to be served. And I think that's one of the things that I see so many talented financial advisors out there that really understand financial services and can explain it to their clients and put together plans and strategies for taking money out once you retire and doing it the right way. And all the things, the ways that financial advisors care. But my legacy isn't to make that better. My legacy is, do, you know? can you get more clients? Can you get more clients? Can you serve more people as a result of either being more referable or figuring out how your service, whatever that might be, something that I may have done to make sure that more people can, can really connect with a good financial advisor.
2: That's great. And you're also leaving a legacy with your students and your student athletes as well. I can't imagine all the lives that will be changed by having that type of guidance and knowledge in on a college level before they really get out into the real world. They already know how to brand themselves. So that that in itself, I think, is also a really incredible legacy that you're leaving.
0: Yeah, that's actually one that, you know, I look at that, did a student get placed in a job that they really wanted to be placed in? And that sort of our success as professors is we want to be able to teach and allow them to learn. But are they getting the jobs that they want? Are they, or do they have the, the confidence, the experience that they can go out and actually get a job in marketing or whatever it might be? And, and, and for the case of, uh, of student athletes, is their success right now with their NIL, with their name, image, and likeness, are they making a little bit more money than, than they could have done in the past?
2: With everything, the financial world is changing and the marketing world is always changing. With all that's happened in this post-COVID world, what would you say your biggest challenge has been in adapting?
0: Yeah, I mean, the post-COVID world, I mean, so part of it, part of the whole thing is my whole career was traveling. I would travel, travel, travel um, to go to speaking engagements, to go see clients, and I would travel every week for 20 years. And then all of a sudden, I didn't travel. And I always thought travel was good because I wasn't getting paid sitting in, you know, in my house, in my office. I was getting paid when I was out seeing people. So I didn't really care about travel. I liked it. And then when I sat home during COVID, I'm like, I didn't like travel. Travel's terrible. Travel's horrible. I mean, now I'm back traveling again. And I think to what I'm trying to say is that the adaptation of change, you know, things are going to change. And now I love travel again because now I'm back out traveling again. And you know what? Travel's not that bad. I mean, you have to have the right mindset going into some of these things. And, you know, COVID changed everything. But those that have really survived and thrived have adapted to the changing environment and what we need to do differently. And, you know, I've seen financial advisors find great success by using Zoom and being able to get clients across the country as opposed to just in your backyard. And so there are so many things, but I think it's the adaptation to change.
2: Absolutely. That is great. Thank you. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that you want to cover?
0: Well, I could talk forever. No, <laughs> I'm, I'm fine.
2: <laughs> okay, great. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. This was the Your Life, Your Legacy podcast with Stan Miller and Katie Beth Hand. And our pr- it was our privilege to have our guest today, Dr. Mary Beth Kuzmeski. And we will have all of her information in our show notes. Thank you so much, Mary Beth. We really enjoyed having you on the show with us today. Thank you, guys.
1: Thanks for listening to the Your Life, Your Legacy podcast with Stan Miller and Katie Beth Hand. If you enjoyed the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To find out more about Stan and Katie Beth, go to PinnacleLegacyLaw.com. You can also find links in the show notes.